Did you this hear that last time? It was loud. Well, that's, I have this little pad here, and I don't know. And then you gave away what we were drinking. People can guess this morning what it is. I think you had your ring on and you were you slammed your hand down. Oh, I did, because I got, I got emotionally charged. Loud, you're doing yeah. the Mussolini so, the podium. Once we get comfortable here, we can start. Okay. Welcome to the Two Opinionated Guys podcast. Mm. Well, I, but like I said, once we get comfortable, and Aaron's wearing this giant coat that looks like a sleeping bag. I'm cold. And I just go, you're not comfortable. This is going to be terrible. I couldn't be more comfortable than I am enveloped in this thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, this is good. Anyway, welcome to the Two Opinionated Guys podcast. Yeah. I'm Marshall. This is Aaron. And today we're talking with Andrew Martin. Mm-hmm. And Andrew, today's subject that you're probably like, what, what is, what are we even talking about? Yeah. Today? We're both in that seat right now. You are. What yeah. are we talking about? <laughs> what is it going to be? Well, you know, it's funny. Anytime I, and I want to give a little bit of background on Andrew here in just a minute, but anytime Andrew and I are talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should just be clicking, clicking the record button, you know, because you just have this wealth of like knowledge slash mm-hmm. opinions. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, opinions is right. my wife goes, what, what are you going to talk to Andrew about? And I go, I don't know, anything that gets him emotionally charged. So anything, anything. <laughs> coffee, <laughs> coffee. Yeah. whatever. I feel like those I, beans are not nice. You didn't weigh them. <laughs> yeah. I think I met Andrew. I don't know. It was probably 2016, 15, or I don't know, a while ago. And I think you were visiting, mm-hmm. and you were in the Portland office, and we started having a conversation. And then it turned into like an hour long conversation mm-hmm. because I was like, "Oh, this guy knows a lot about things that I'm interested in." And then, uh, and then after about a half hour, I was like, he knows a lot more than me about these things. And I go, oh my gosh, this is a lot right now. But I always wondered. And then he was gone. And then he just disappeared. And I think I maybe saw him passing like two times in the next five years. And I was like, where did that mysterious guy go? <laughs> yeah, I think I was hesitant to put like a title on it. But if I had to add the one, it would be like um, just understanding life from a global perspective. Because mm. we are, especially in this climate of politicalness and all that, we're, we're just very isolated in our bubble. Even if you're, you know, even more so, like these days, we talk about being in our own vacuum of our own political party, but we get into our own vacuum of the United States slash our own vacuum of the Northwest, right? We talk about what's what we think is going on in the whole United States based off of what's happening in the Northwest. Like, we talk about that with mm-hmm. electric cars and a lot of other things. But then we fail to get even outside America, and we think we do with maybe Canada and portions of what we think we know about Mexico, right? But let's talk about what, what goes mm-hmm. on in other places. And so let's go into a little bit of who you are sure. and, and where you've been. So if you can give us like a little snapshot biography, mm-hmm. maybe. Quick. Yeah. So yeah, we actually, we're in Kaiser where I grew up, I guess technically Salem now. No worries. Right. No, okay. um, but yeah, I grew up in Kaiser, Oregon. Keep people guessing on where we, where we are. Yeah. Where we're doing this mystery podcast. And um, grew up in this part of the world, but then um, went to Honduras when I was 15. And I just decided I wanted to go and serve and see what that was like. And when I came back when I was 15, I decided, told my mom that I was going to move somewhere else. And gave away my shoes, came out, came back with no shoes. And I just kind of had this early. You got on a plane with no shoes? Yeah. Planes don't have that no shoes, no shirt, no service. I kept my shirt on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're you welcome. Sure you're welcome, Delta. That's good or whatever. Um, but I just had this early in life desire to travel and and just kind of conviction to to help 
once I was confronted with the fact that the rest of the world isn't as blessed um, as as we are. And so that kind of led me on this journey to go to school to get a degree in Bible and missions, which is mm. kind of an interesting degree to get. Um, one which I feel pretty convicted about, that once you get the degree, you have to unlearn most of what you learn. Um, mm. Essentially, it's like... We can unpack that one a little bit later. Right. I thought you... For some reason, I thought you got a degree in teaching. No, I did teach after that. Yeah, okay. I taught. So right. I, yeah, I went to school to basically Bible evangelistic sort of um, degree and then questioned my faith, questioned the purpose of evangelism, questioned everything because we're all postmodern. How old were you during this question? I was 18 to 20, right in there. And then Amy and I got married pretty young my sophomore, after my sophomore year of college. So I was 20 when I got married, but really started to question everything um, because this is something I don't know if we'll have time to talk about because it's basically what I believe to be the underlying depends issue. on how long it takes to tell your story. Well, I know. So we live in a postmodern world. I was confronted with that fact very early. Didn't know what it was, but postmodernism is deconstructing everything and you question everything and it doesn't give you a good platform to build necessarily a worldview. And so when I was in this questioning phase, um, I needed to go and get a practicum to graduate college. I ended up working in inner city Portland and ended up staying there for about five years and started to go really like, um, well, I don't know what you'd call it, but essentially like social justice kind of gospel. Things. That was when you worked for Paul. Yeah. Which was Portland Urban, Urban Ministry Project. Yeah. yeah. And really plugged in, moved into the neighborhood, um, went, you know, 100% in. And then in that process was called to to go and had an opportunity to move to Uganda, Africa. We moved to Africa and we lived there for 12 years until just this last January. Uh, yeah. So January 2020, we, we returned. We went without any kids Well, we had a three-month-old baby, but then came back with five. And in that process, really started to develop um, a different sort of perspective about what it means to be Christian and not only exclusively American Christian and what it means to be a person in the world with a particular worldview and how that affects how you interact with everything. Can I I ask you a question about that? Because when you're going to Africa Mm -hmm. um, and you're making a decision to move, I mean, I think there's probably people listening who have made a decision to move to Texas or, you know, Tennessee or another state, right? And you're going, you know, I'm taking a job over there and you generally know what you're going to get. And I understand you went and visited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you visit before mm-hmm. me, 2005. Right? Yeah. yeah, okay. So you visit, and then you have you're making the decision. I want to go, um, which there's a few more things in there. But when I remember talking to you about what you need, right, mm-hmm. and you made a list because you have a container that you're going to fill up, and mm-hmm. you're like, I'm going to buy some stuff here because this is what I can't buy there. Um, what what was that like? What was the difference when you actually what you thought you needed versus what you decided you needed once you got there? Oh, yeah. I mean. Basically, once we got there, we had this giant 40-foot container. We filled about half of it because we were sharing it with another family. And I felt like, I wish I wouldn't have brought anything, to mm-hmm. be honest. And that's, yeah, need and want and security in things is a really big issue, something that I had to wrestle with. And um, I really feel like it's, you know, it's one of our greatest blessings is the decadence that we have and the ability to buy and consume and create. And our, In fact, our entire economy is built on that, which... Is not inherently bad, but it creates this sort of false sense of security in the stuff that we have. And it was a real gift to have to go there. And once I got there and realized a large portion of all of our stuff had been rifled through and stolen oh, and broken <laughs> and all of this. And, and I was 
like, oh no. And so much of my security was wrapped up in that stuff. And I didn't realize how much it was. It was like the security blanket we were taking over with this. Like, okay, even though we're going to Uganda and going to have very little security and stability. And, um, and, and I'm a little, uh, like maybe I know a little bit more just because you and I talk a lot, and, but I, I know that that's gotta be a different feeling. We're in the United States. That's just one portion of it where we go. I think during COVID Amazon prime turned from guaranteed two days into whatever they feel like, <laughs> which ticked me off. And mm-hmm. I was about to write off Amazon yeah, prime. <laughs> and I was like, what the heck is this? Where's my, it's not, I think I ordered on Monday and it says it's coming Friday. And I was thinking, what happened to two day? Mm-hmm. And that I was like, I might as well just go down to target. I mean, <laughs> well actually shop for this thing. And that uh, was an adjustment for me. And eventually I still decided to order things off Amazon, but you're, you're going, I, <clears throat> if I want to get something, I, I have to make sure it, it's a, probably a pretty long process when, cause it's not, if it's not in Africa, you mm-hmm. got to get it from the United States or whoever can get it for you. Mm-hmm. And however it gets there, it might get rifled through and not even make it all the way. Yeah. Basically you get to the point where you go, I don't think I really need that. <laughs> Did you go, you, was part of your intent in making this trip down to have that kind of epiphany to go, I don't need all those material things and I kind of want to have a simpler existence or was that just a byproduct of? That was a byproduct. I can't say that I was that well motivated. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't really even know that that was something that I needed to think through. Minimalism wasn't a thing really mm-hmm. back then. It's it's a big thing now. And I think a lot of people are coming to this point of realizing the, the limitations of consumption, excessive mm-hmm. consumption as being the thing that gives us a sense of security and identity and all of that. And so that's good. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get there from an altruistic like motivation. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that wise. Yeah. Um, I was confronted with the fact that these things don't actually bring me peace. Mm-hmm. And... And that was just a wrestling process, but a good one. I'm thankful for it. But, but I think that we're still, even personally, there's still some other things. And as a Christian, I call them idols, you know, things that I put my trust and my hope and my faith in other than God, who I believe is the only thing. So I don't want to get too preachy about it, but sure. I think that's that, okay. I've been preaching to Aaron a lot. And he's, he's way worse than that. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah. So in coming back, I'm curious, um, because by intent or by accident, you came back to the United States at an interesting time. Yeah. And yeah, I'm so curious if, and it's probably not a good year to ask this question because I think everyone is there. Thinking the is, best time. Their thinking is going down in terms of consumption and future stability. We're all a little bit on pins and needles because mm-hmm. coronavirus keeps coming in and out of the equation, mm-hmm. the election, a lot of political unrest. And, and I think most of us are thinking, gosh, life as we know it could change to what degree we don't know, but things could change. And you're thinking through a different lens. And so I'm curious if you think coming back to the United States, are you going to be able to sort of keep that train of thought that you've developed through living in Uganda and having that minimalism? Or do you feel like as you integrate back in the United States, inherently some of the American sort of culture and behavior is going to come wash over you again? It's definitely a wrestling match. I don't think it's something for me, at least personally, that I'm going to get to the point where I say, oh, I've conquered this. This Mm -hmm. isn't a problem. This isn't an issue. Um, because again, for me, it's where do you find your stability and security mm-hmm. and where do you, where, and what do you place your hope essentially mm-hmm. is, is what it comes down to, I think. And, and I believe that in America, we've lived in the illusion of control for so long because it's been so good for us mm-hmm. and, and you only know what you know. So when you're born into the system in America, you just sort of believe that you have a right to whatever you want 
And yeah, if you don't get it, it's probably because maybe you didn't work hard enough, maybe you got unlucky, but really you should be able to have it. There's these kind of underlying assumptions mm -hmm. about the world. And, and I think that it's, it's hard to resist that when you're born into it, even for me being away from it for 12 years, coming back into it, there's still this draw. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in fact, it's not, consumption is not bad. Production is certainly not bad. And I think working gives um, dignity and, you know, so all of these things are good, but our whole economic system is sort of predicated on the idea that what you have is not quite enough. And if you have something a little bit more, then, then you'll be fulfilled. And that's, there's just a fine line. It's a very, it's like a tipping point mm -hmm. because if your economy is predicated on that, then you constantly have to push people. You kind of all, if you want everybody to have this sense of like not quite there yet. And so you're striving, but for me, the not quite there yet is like, where, where do you place that? Where do you, where are you going to find fulfillment? Mm -hmm. And my, my conclusion is it's in, it's in people. It's mm -hmm. in, it's in relationships. Oh, we forgot to tell you that, uh, today's podcast is brought to you by Together Coffee. Oh, oh. what you're drinking right okay. now. Yes, it is. Give it away. There it is. Is, it, that, is that what we're drinking? That's what we're drinking. That is. But Coffee. This, yeah. You can't judge me on this because I just got a new espresso machine and it's not. I'm going to be honest with you. If you go around town and you sample a random shot of espresso, this is going to be better than anything around town. So Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, star have you had Starbucks recently? No. Terrible. Bitter. It tastes like they burn everything. Some is really watered I down. I love Starbucks. Though, yeah, so. but you are an uncultured swine. So. That's interesting. I love that you just said that. That <laughs> was not set up, people. I, you can even talk about I it. like coffee more than you. You're the one who comes in with that. Uh, Do with, you? I, <laughs> Do I'm you? fairly confident. You're you the one who comes in McDonald's with... McDonald's or Starbucks. That's your palate, sir. Dude, so McDonald's I think has good coffee, and I drink my coffee black. Therefore, I know that when you're a black coffee drinker, that you care more about the flavor than you do the sugar in it. Also, you're the one who comes in with like four or five-hour energies to just... Finish off your day, and then that's Aaron circa 2015. And then, and then you have <laughs> now, something from BlackRock that doesn't even look like coffee. It looks like Red Bull and Sprite or something. No, you you are literally making things up. No, what, what did you bring in here today? Where is it? Water, water, H two O proof. Where, is that, that's not from home. What is that? Where's that from? That's from BlackRock. Okay, so you went but, to BlackRock to get water. Yeah, but I went with Lynn. She got the coffee. <laughs> I got the water. To be fair, okay. they have the best Don't water try to in town. Me in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do. Well, so anyway, uh, just a side note. He does Andrew this, does Andrew. This is his, his angle. What's my if, angle? If the topic gets in a direction he doesn't love, he just is like, nah, stop that. And then we just go in a different <laughs> Nobody direction. Nobody knows that. We can't prove that. So he has to be proven. <laughs> Andrew's been roasting his own coffee since being back. Kind of a hobby he built while you were in Africa. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. you had to, <laughs> I think speaking of hard times, um, you had to, remember your first time visiting back mm. and you're like, hey, do you want a cup of coffee? I was like, sure. And then it was like a half hour later. <laughs> and I'm like, I forgot about my coffee. And you come out and you're just holding it so delicately. And then you hand it to me and I'm like, oh, oh, you remembered. And it took me like a half hour to make that coffee. And and then I drank it and I was like, oh, this is really good. And then I think when I visited you in Africa, it's this, it, it's this process. You like you have this hand grinder. You have to boil the water, do a pour over. I'm not sure. It's just, yeah. it's not a button on a curing. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, it's so interesting. I realized I'm a nerd you know, in this process, uh -huh. yeah. when you don't have electricity, like 50% of the time you realize you got a lot of time to do stuff. Mm -hmm. So when I was there, I just kind of got interested in different things and coffee was one of them. And one of the cool things about it is coffee grows in Uganda mm -hmm. and it's one of their main exports. It's one of the main cash crops. We develop relationships with people um, in Uganda that we were trying to teach, you know, 
a particular worldview and a particular belief system that we really felt like would give them the most joy and the most peace in their life, which we believe is this Christian ethic, this Christian sort of behavior, love your neighbor as, as yourself, love God and all this, but then also giving them practical tools to provide for themselves. So we taught agriculture um, and then coffee started to become this thing where it's like a lot of people are growing coffee, but they're doing it very haphazardly. We want to be able to help them do it better and then provide for them a way to sell it. And so that's kind of like this, this bridge that has sort of been built. I really felt called to this when we were called back to America. We really felt called specifically back to the Northwest because this is where our roots are. It's where coffee um, is. Coffee's big here. Everybody but, drinks it. And a lot of people were like, oh, well, isn't there enough coffee there? I'm like, yes. But the real reason that I want to get into coffee, it's actually called Together Coffee. Um, and it's purpose is to bring people together. And I didn't mean for this to be a commercial. I didn't know we were going to talk about that. But it, it, just to give you an idea, that does <clears throat> helps you to understand what my worldview is really. And I'm trying to put it into practice. Um, being a missionary is not exactly a lucrative job. I don't know if anybody's aware of that, but it isn't. <laughs> and we, we had some decisions to make when we came back about some money that we had set aside for our future. And we decided, do we really believe what we say we believe about resources, mm -hmm. about a scarcity mentality, about filling our lives with stuff that will so hopefully make us feel better? If we really believe what we're saying we believe, which is that it doesn't matter what you have, it matters who's in your life and how much, how much you're in relationship with them, where you depend on them, they depend on you. And so we decided to spend a significant amount of our money to come back to start this business. Mm. And so far, we're just moving one step at a time, trying not to prioritize. It's moving at an African pace. Yeah, I mean, much. my son is like, hey, where is he at with his website? <laughs> hey, he's yeah. got his he's got got a retail location in Portland. That's, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's right. true. As of like two weeks ago. Right? <laughs> well, the thing about that is, is that in Africa, they'll say Africans have time. Bazungu, which are white people, have watches. <laughs> and so there is this idea that this is this is an issue too about like what is what is life for mm -hmm. you know and if if you spend your whole life trying to move through the thing you're in to get to the next thing that you have on the calendar you never actually experience the fullness of the joy of a relationship with people and so we're trying to take every approach all the things that we felt like were distilled good nuggets of things that we learned in Africa we're trying to keep them in our lives and we're trying to incorporate that into our business practices into the way we do life with people it's been a challenge, which I think is, but, I think that's great. Um, what I've noticed a lot of people when they go to Africa on short term mission trips, uh, which I'm a big believer in and they, but they go and they try to just infiltrate with the American way yes. rather than taking, like you said, and I, and I used it in the opposite term, but what's good about America because yeah. Africans don't want what we have. Right. I mean, I mean, they might want some of the things we have, but they don't, I mean, if they, they think they do, they think they do. Okay. They look at America and they think it's heaven on earth. And once they get here, those few who do, they realize, Oh, this might be the other H place. <laughs> <laughs> right. So then taking what is good about what we do, because you know, America's is a great place, uh, but there are a lot of things like what you just said right there. I think will probably resonate with a lot of people that you're just moving through life, trying to get to the next thing. And going, I'm looking forward to the next thing, rather than enjoying the moment yeah. that you're in. Think about it with sports. I love sports. Um, but there, there are so many things in our life that are very central to the American life and the American dream. Mm. That are these things that... that we really, sports last week. So Yeah. Well, these things that never fully fulfill you. Mm -hmm. They never fully satisfy. Mm -hmm. They really don't. Um, you're a Niner fan. I'm a Niner fan. 
Um, but I'm also a Liverpool fan, which is soccer. Notre Dame. You're going to explain that to our answer. I know, I realized <laughs> I was going to segue to that. They won the championship last year, first time in 30 years. And they were this legendary club from before. But anyway, you're watching sports and you're thinking, oh, if they win this game, if the Niners win, if the Blazers win, or whoever, if we could just win that game, if we could just win the championship, then we'll be fulfilled. For those people that actually follow teams that actually do win occasionally, which I don't seem to do, um, <laughs> You, what you realize is the anticipation of the satisfaction, the anticipation in the process is much more satisfying than the realization of it. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you get what you thought you wanted, the thing you thought was going to fulfill you, you're looking to the next thing. It's it's just a weird fact mm-hmm. of life. You mentioned postmodernism, and I'd like to touch on that a little bit. But yeah. I'm curious if you think, and maybe you can segue in like what postmodernism means to this. People, I do feel like there is a general sense right now that people don't have a lot of meaning in their life. Yes. Or that their meaning is being tested through what they thought brought them meaning, whether that's politics or that's their work or that's the grind or the rat race or buying more things. Mm -hmm. And as coronavirus and the gnarly political process we have going on is really pulling everyone apart, a lot of people are left wanting and going, I don't feel anything. I feel unhappy. And I'm curious if you think postmodernism plays into that and if you can maybe elaborate a little bit on that because I'd love to pick your brain about postmodernism. Yes, so I definitely do. I think postmodernism came about at a time when it needed to be there as a tool for textual critique and textual criticism. It actually sort of was fashioned for that purpose, to be able to say like an original text that you look, a historical narrative or or some other work of fiction or something, you get down to the layers of like who wrote it, when did they write it, why did they write it, what was the audience. Was this in academia? Yeah, you're talking about yeah. Like in cult. In, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think post the roots of postmodernism go back to France. Typically, like there's Jacques Derrida and um, Foucault and some other people, and a lot of those guys they were not Christians, so mm-hmm. that's one thing. Now, again, I don't want to get too preachy, but to, to me, a lot of this comes down to their satisfaction. You know, where is our hope? Where does it reside? If it resides in the things that are of this world that, that will fail, that prove over and over again that they fail, then our hope will never be satisfied. Our mm-hmm. hope will never be secure. We'll always, it'll be shifting sand. And so you have to have your hope in something that is secure, that is outside of yourself. Postmodernism came about and it started to deconstruct all of the systems. It was meant to deconstruct and get to the root of like textual critique and criticism. And in fact, even in um, Christianity, it brought about what's called exegesis, essentially, where you dig really deeply into the text and you read a portion of the Bible and you say, well, we can't really know what this meant unless we know who wrote it, when they wrote it, why they wrote it, who they wrote it to, what was going on around geopolitically, mm-hmm. because it can't mean what it was never intended to mean to the original audience. And so you dig mm-hmm. down layers and layers and layers. And so it started this process of deconstructionism. And then postmodernism, that sort of application was applied to everything. Mm-hmm. And it was applied to the idea of truth itself, like can you know truth at all? Mm-hmm. Interesting thing in the Gospels, when Jesus was going, um, he was being put on trial, accused falsely of all these things. He stood there and basically didn't defend himself. But when Pilate said um, to him, I don't see anything. I don't. These people are calling for your head. I don't see anything that you've done. Um, basically, who are you? They say you're the king of the Jews. And, and he was like, eventually Jesus was like, you shall know the truth and the truth will set, will set you free. And then Pilate responded to me with the spirit of postmodernism, the spirit of our age, where he said, what is truth? Mm-hmm. And the idea that there is truth at all came under fire. And I think has, that's been happening since that point, maybe before. So you think that had a corrosive quality on, Definitely. on culture, Western culture? 
on us as human beings, on the fact that there could be, because I believe fundamentally we're made in the image of God mm-hmm. and being made in his image. There are certain things that we can't change about who we are, regardless of our opinion of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so the idea that we truth itself came under fire, that truth is all because postmodernism says ultimately that all truths are subjective. So everything's open to interpretation. Everything. And so you can, and, everything's and, shifting sand. And for people listening, and, and this is to kind of to push me a little further too, sure. why is that so profound? Why is everything being open to interpretation such a, why does that have such a corrosive effect? Because then everything is reduced to power dynamics. Whoever you can, if you can convince the most people to believe your opinion, then you're right. Mm-hmm. So, so it's about power. It's so about truth. when you look at the landscape today uh, in America, and I use political landscape a lot, but that's because it seems to seep into everything. Yeah. And you hear that term a lot. Everything comes down to power, mm-hmm. right? And I guess that would be as opposed to competence or, or whatever, or more, or good versus evil. And, mm-hmm. and we, I think I have determined that not everything comes down to power dynamics, mm-hmm. right? And I've de- debunked that in my brain. Maybe you can help me out a little bit, take it even a little further. Okay. Why, why is it that you feel like, because it sounds like you've done a little bit of looking into this, and, and it doesn't sound like you think everything is reduced down to simple power dynamics. Right. Can you walk me through that a little bit, what you know about that? Sure. I mean, I can only give you my perspective. I definitely don't claim to be an expert, but going to Uganda helped me to understand that so much of the rest of the world does not have the same default worldview. They don't look at things the same way that we do as Westerners. Mm -hmm. And at first when I was there, I started to like question it and I didn't, didn't understand it. And when you don't understand something, typically your first response, just gut reaction is to resist and to say, well, that must not be right. It's not how I think it's not how I was raised. Mm -hmm. Um, the way they prioritize different things. Um, and so Ultimately, what it caused me to do is to go into a process of reevaluation of my worldview, of, of the way that I think everything should be done and practiced and everything. And so I started to question things, and it centralized me down to this idea that if there is no truth, ultimately, then everything is subject to whoever is in control. It's essentially nihilism. You're like, what is the point? How could you make any argument about morality? Nothing matters. Nothing possibly could matter because it's only subject to whoever is having the conversation and their opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see, I, I find it impossible to get to a place of objective truth mm-hmm. um, when your whole purpose is just to deconstruct everything and say, well, live your truth. That's your opinion. And so when we do that, I think that that's ultimately destructive because it's contrary to the nature of God. Because and- God is truth. He is light. He has all the things defined in scripture that I think actually give you rooting. And I, I think that also the Western culture in particular, because that's all I know, yeah. has a strong underpinning in Judeo-Christian values. And I think there's a lot of layers of generations who've grown up on that underpinning and not even understanding that that is the underpinning. Absolutely. And through a lot of that being sort of sterilized out, we're seeing a lot of chaos start to ensue and people go, and I think they are getting to that point where they go, holy crap, what is true? Yeah. What even is true? And when you truth. really challenge somebody to dig down and go, what is true to me? What is a truth to me? They, a lot of times, can't do it, especially if there's not an underpinning in some sort of faith of some sort. Yes. And I find that to be interesting because I'm kind of going through that a little bit, too. And we talked about it in our last podcast where I went, man, this election is going in an odd direction. And I realized how much of the last four years of my life I've developed a crutch that I wrapped my identity up in my political beliefs. And now that that's kind of going to get kicked out from under me, potentially, 
I realized, wow, what's left, right? Right. And we had another podcast where we talked to Dennis King, and he talked about Catholicism, and he and Marshall mm-hmm. talked about Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in there is some foundational stuff. Yeah. But I'm not sure everybody would get to that. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not sure everyone would dig down that deep. And I think that that's a real issue today. It is. And I think part of that is because so much of like Judeo-Christian worldview has been criticized and it has been rightly so in some ways. It has been shown to be tyrannical at times, you know, patriarchal, patriarchal, um, misogynistic, bigoted, because the practitioners mm-hmm. have been. And that's a right critique. And it needs to be said and it needs to be acknowledged. Because if people simply say, no, 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 that's not true, that's never happened. But my argument is you, you do not formulate your opinion about who God is. If God is who, if God is real, mm-hmm. if God exists, our opinion of him does not determine his qualities and characteristics mm-hmm. that resides mm-hmm. solely with him. So the people that follow him or purport to follow him and do great injustice and impose tyranny and all of these different things and, and set unjust laws and create unbalanced systems has no bearing on who God himself is. Mm-hmm. And so the first step I think is to say, do I believe that it's important or it's possible or it matters that there, there could be a God mm-hmm. who actually he himself defines by his nature mm-hmm. because everything flowed from him, mm-hmm. that his nature and his character defines what truth is. Mm-hmm. And if we can get there, that's a starting point because then it doesn't say like, well, you have to believe this about you have to be a Catholic or a Christian or cause I don't even see much of the differentiation between those mm-hmm. two poles, by the way. Mm-hmm. But but then, or, or any other come on the last podcast. I'm sure. Um, can, can I ask? <laughs> yeah. Uh, based off of all that, because I, I love just sitting back and listening to you two, um, and but I'm, I'm I'm listening to it and going, okay, there. What Aaron just said that he had this crutch of, um, you know, uh, of politics, and we kind of we talked about that a lot. We were just, why did we get so invested in it? But you have a different view, and I'd love to get your view on what does the political climate look like in another country versus our country. And then how is our political climate looked at to another country? Because I remember very distinctly being in Africa, sitting at a coffee shop in my Marshall-esque way of not wanting to sit with a group. I just sat with some random Africans and sitting there and then they just, just talking to me and they said, hey, what do you think about the election? Who's going to win? And this was in 16. So they're like, mm. is it going to be Donald Trump or is it going to be Hillary Clinton? And most of the time I'm like, I'm going to tell you my opinion. Now I'm stuck in another country that I feel like... I don't know that I am afforded the same amount of rights and mm-hmm. and I'm going, if I say the wrong thing, am I, am I in trouble here? Yeah. And, and why do you care about what's going on in the United States? So I know I asked you kind of a few things, yeah. but I'd love for you to give us mm-hmm. your opinion on what that looks like and, and what you've seen the differences. Okay. Yeah. There is a lot there. However, he gives you a lot to unpack. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I saw in Uganda that. What is their political system there? Well, it's a republic. It's probably purported and structured to be similar to a hybrid between like the British system, parliamentary, and then democratically elected officials in that system. But for more than 30 years, um, that, that the validity of that system has been in question since the beginning, since the British left. Um, and then there were these struggles for power. Um, there were there was a guy named Abote in power. There was a coup attempt. There so do you have a presidency Indian. now right there's now? There's been a president who's been the same for the last 30 years. 30 years. Yeah, 35, I want to say. Museveni. Um, and he's been in power. But every election that I know of has been called into question um, because of the integrity of the election, vote rigging, just all the things that are going around right now in our country that a lot of people are saying, oh, this is unfair. And 
the so trust in the system, trust in the structure of the democratic system is really what's at stake in America. And it's what it's the, it's what the reality was in the place that I lived in. Nobody trusted the system. They weren't, they didn't have the illusion that there was fairness. They understood that whoever's in power, they rule by the gun. And so so nobody you talked to was like, well, I think, it, you know, maybe it's a little rigged, but it's just the way it is. But everybody just knew that there was corruption. Oh, yes. Yes, okay. absolutely. Just a known. So you're right at home right now. Yeah. So <laughs> no, half of our country thinks there isn't, okay? And half of our country thinks there is. Yeah. I'll question that, too. So huh. the, let's the, do a poll. Yeah. I think America is a unique place historically, at least from my, again, very limited. I don't know every place. I know we've met a lot of people in Uganda from different parts of the world, from Asian countries, from European countries, um, from the Middle East. And America, I think, is unique because it was built on a platform not that long ago that everybody sort of bought into. That was a part of the system. Now, this isn't talking about people who were left out, that were oppressed, that their land was taken, all of that. Um, I don't know enough about that to get into it. But the people who came over, the, the immigrant class that came in and established and homesteaded and then built this, they were they all felt like they were in it together. And so there were some things that they agreed upon and they held fast to. And really, George Washington, the story about him resisting the coup attempt that his own military leaders wanted to push through after they beat the British in the Revolutionary War, that set the tone for the ability to build the rest of the country on. Because I think it was King George in England at the time that was fighting against George Washington. He was like, if... George Washington does not declare himself king. He will be the greatest man ever. Mm-hmm. This is brand new, uncharted country with all of these resources and all of this potential, and he could be in charge of it all. Which he could have. He easily could have. Well, as all his military leaders wanted to. In fact, there was a big issue with them being compensated fairly because a lot of these people went and fought. And then some of the people that didn't fight, they were like wanting to share the resources, and they thought we should be compensated. We should be given places of privilege in the government. And mm-hmm. George Washington re- resisted that. He didn't want to be even re-elected president again. So there, there were some very unique things that happened in the founding of the American country that gave us the platform to at least have this sense of like the system is fair, the system is balanced. But I'll say that my hope as a Christian can't be in those systems. It doesn't mean that I can't participate in them and, and work toward their continued success. I think I have a responsibility to do that as a citizen. But as a Christian, the thing that I hold fast to is that my hope doesn't reside in human structures. Mm-hmm. And I, I was saying this the other day to my wife, there is no existential threat for a Christian because an existential threat is this, this question of like, what is existence about? What does my life mean? If these things are no longer here, mm-hmm. you know, basically why go on living existential? Why do I exist? And so it's, it, that's, that's basically universe shattering for people. And for Christians our <laughs> Our reason for our hope resides in a place that cannot be shaken. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was also one of the one of the underlying foundational pillars or whatever, cornerstone of when the country was founded. Some of those founders, George Washington, his belief was there too. Mm-hmm. They said that he got up every morning and prayed. He was on his knees and he was praying every day. And he, so there was this idea of, of right orientation towards he, uh, yeah, was, he didn't get paid, right? He accepted the job as a commander in chief for no pay, mm-hmm. which was also interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am cu- to that. I am curious, um, you know, because you're mentioning Christianity as this pillar that you know makes it affords you the ability to operate in the world without being concerned about worldly things, in a sense. And I think that that feels like 
liberation to you, or that is liberation. That's ultimately where you get your freedom from. And that's an interesting thought, but a lot of younger people today, they have a vo- an ideological void. Like it's almost as though they're looking to adopt an ideology. And I'm curious in your take, why do you think so many younger people, and I'm just going to say millennials and younger, sure. why do they choose ideologies that they choose like feminism or a BLM or I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal versus why are people so resistant Gender to adopt right an ideology of Christianity because Christianity I think has been impotent, mm. not, not authentic gospel, not true lived Christianity, but the Christianity of the Western church has been an impotent, narcissistic, lazy, self congratulatory, easily satiated and satisfied pile of garbage. So many big words. No, but it, I mean, honestly, He's really painting a picture. Here. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking and responding to it. And whatever there adjectives people, are coming out, mm-hmm. there are people in in Uganda, friends of mine, that described what happened when their country went through a tumultuous turnover of the government. When there was a coup by Idi Amin, and he took over, and he kicked out the Westerners. He kicked out a lot of Asians that would have been they're Indians, but they called them Asians there because they are, but. Essentially, they owned a lot of the, the capital in the country because they were brought in as the primary labor force that the British trusted when they laid the railroads and built the industries. And so they controlled all of that. They kicked them all out and they gave it over to a lot of the Ugandan people. They tried to build something new. Idi Amin was aligned with Islamic nations and he started persecuting the Christians and he wouldn't let the Christians meet. And I met with and worked with and love and some of my dearest friends are people who told stories about when we were the church during that time. We couldn't meet in buildings. We couldn't have these big um, open, you know, celebratory services and things. We had to meet in people's homes. And there was a point at which they were meeting in a home and, and someone came and he was saying he was homeless. He didn't have a place to stay because they were Christians, because they knew they needed to love their neighbor and extend generosity and hospitality, no matter who they were. They let this person come in, stay on the couch. He witnessed all of these like little worship services, praying, reading their Bible under candlelight. And then after a few days, he brought out his intelligence card. He was a spy for the government mm-hmm. sent out to investigate and to try to find these underground churches. Mm-hmm. And he he told them, I have seen real love here because of that. I'm not turning you in. Mm-hmm. And that was the seed of authentic Christianity at a time when people would come after that. Some people, some of the other Christians would say, Oh, you really want to be a Christian? Here's a straw drink from the toilet. Mm-hmm. Because they would say, how committed are you to this? Mm-hmm. American Christianity, the, the reason why, the justifiable reason why mm-hmm. a lot of the youth in our country and in the Western world have said, I want to go towards all of these other things that have meaning and have significance and purpose because they're sold out for it. Mm-hmm. You don't go out on the street with a black mask on your face and Molotov cocktails in hand and threatened to burn the whole system down, the whole system that allowed you to be as privileged as you are, unless you think that it really means what it says it means. Because you see that they're serious about it. Christians, meanwhile, are content to sit back and be lazy and let everybody else tell them when and how they can worship their God. And that's why. I think the church is closing when they did. This may get me fired. I think the church is closing the way they did and when they did and how they did in such a passive way, in such an insidious way, not the church being insidious, but the attack was so insidious because it said, you don't love others. If you open your churches, if you open your churches, you may kill grandma, you may kill 
your neighbors. So the loving thing to do is to close down. Mm. And so I'm not saying that we need to have these big sort of Western celebratory things because that is not authentic Christianity. It's not that it's inherently bad, but it is not a replacement for real gospel and real love of neighbor Mm -hmm. because that's what Western. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to go Joel Osteen, that sort of Christianity, the idea that health and wealth and everything that you could possibly ever imagine. God is Santa Claus. If you just, if you have more things in your life that are right than things wrong, then God will bless you. That's garbage. That's not even in there. Go look for it. Mm -hmm. I encourage everyone to go open your Bibles, the things that you say, you know, go read them. Certainly not in the old Testament. (laughs) It is not there. Moses had a beard and he worked. It wasn't his coat red. And so the blessing, so when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, I'm doing everything right. I have, I follow all the law and the prophets. I do all the extra things. And when Jesus told him, sell all your possessions and come follow me, people look at that and think, wow, Jesus really convicted him. But I don't think people understand, especially in the Western church, that that is not just like a, it's not a really hard task to accomplish to earn God's love. It's actually release and surrender and freedom of your things that control mm-hmm. you. I think Jesus saw the heart of that man and knew, I'm not Lord for you. Mm-hmm. These things are Lord for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the reason why back to your initial question, mm-hmm. young people, I've heard someone say young people are very good observers, keen observers, but lousy interpreters. Mm-hmm. They've observed that the Christian church is completely impotent mm-hmm. in America and in the West. And they want purpose. They want significance. They want meaning. And I don't blame them. Well, I also think that in university, and I, I think this probably came in, I would argue it came in the onset of like the twenties and thirties within Frankfurt school. But I yes. also think yes. that a lot of people think that this came in the sixties probably, but this being taught at university, this wicked ideology, it was no longer a, an institution to, to question everything. It was an institution to be indoctrinated to some degree. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the 60s, it became, and beyond, it became increasingly popular to look down your nose at Christians as just worshipers of an ideology. And under the least amount of scrutiny, you can go into the Bible and everyone loves to do it. Pick out a verse. It's like, well, he didn't like gay people and he, you know, and he hated women or whatever. And I think that that is another reason because it's a really easy, if you don't apply yourself very heavily, it's a really easy doctrine to pluck facts out of the yeah. See, this is proof positive that it's not a good thing. But you know what? You know and what? it's at odds with a lot of ideologies that are popular right now, like feminism to some mm-hmm. degree and the BLM movement. And the, I mean, uh, it could go a million directions, but, but I think what's interesting about that, and this is, you know, one thing I observe with young people is they're just, they're, they, they're not experienced in the world. They have this opinion based off of the little area that they live in and going, we're being oppressed in some fashion, right? And then they've never been even outside their state or maybe outside their country. And you go to any other, go to a European country, a, a developed European country, and you're going to realize the freedoms that you have in America, you don't have there. And then you go to, you know, some other really oppressed countries, uh, you know, you go to China, you'll, you'll get even, your eyes will be even more opened. And uh, I think that's the experience that you have. But one of the things that I think is difficult for young people is they, one, they're unwilling to look at that. And then if you go to these other parts of the world where Christianity maybe isn't the, uh, the majority and it's maybe, you know, Muslim, Muslimism was Islam, Islam. Thank you. But whenever it's a plural, I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Muslimism, <laughs> Muslim, you know, but they're, they're in, um, or like in the middle East, 
what you talk about, feminism and um, acceptance of uh, homosexuality, those aren't afforded in those areas. Not only aren't they, are they not afforded, they're, you're murdered. I mean, you're put to death because of it. Mm-hmm. And so here we're like, oh, Christians want to oppress just because we don't believe in it. We're not oppressing anybody. We just don't believe in it. It's a sin just like anything else. And then they refuse to accept what's going on in the other parts of the world. And they pick and choose what they want. They pick and choose. They hear things about Sweden and go, we should be more like Sweden in this little category. And we should be like Germany in this little category. We should be like Canada with the free healthcare. So they just, they grab little pieces. We should have open borders like Europe does. Mm -hmm. But that's just, what works there doesn't necessarily, you can't just take all of these things from everywhere. Yeah, and then and then implement them. Well, I think it's interesting too because those same people who denounce Christianity so easily. And listen, I am a person who, as you know, I wouldn't say I've struggled with faith, but I've definitely been. I'm not ready to just capitulate and go. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to church and I'm a believer. I'll call it a struggle. Yeah. Okay, it's a struggle. Because <laughs> you don't because you haven't made a decision yet. So you're you're. But in, in, in the struggle, I acknowledge that even if I don't know if God exists, and even if I don't know that I'm a Christian, and I don't know that I believe all the stories of the Bible. I still wake up every day and behave like a person who has that faith. And mm-hmm. that is meaningful because I go, okay, so yes, in the Bible I can read and go, I don't know if I believe that. But if I dig a little deeper, I go, and he said, like Andrew said, what is truth? And I go, well, what is truth? And I know what is true is I wake up every day and I behave like a person who believes there's a God. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the younger people, who, you know, I'm thinking of a couple right off the top of my head are just, no offense, hardcore liberals. And they're just quick to take their ideology and billboard it and go, I have all the answers. I go, yeah, so you're an atheist, but you still basically behave like you believe there's a good and an evil. Mm -hmm. You still are doing things as a Christian would. So clearly you have some, it's almost like it's not required to believe it because everyone's behaving that way with the exception of a few people. Everyone, a lot of people in America behave as though they believe in Christianity. They just don't acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they don't, they refuse to to try almost. If you try to build a worldview on deconstructionism and postmodernism, you frustrate yourself. I think a lot of the angst that you see is that people are like, it's wrong. You're misogynist. You're white supremacist. Mm-hmm. You're sexist. You're what homophobic, whatever. And then a true nihilistic tyrant would turn around that, that had their same worldview would turn around and go, and mm-hmm. you're saying that that's wrong. Mm-hmm. How do you derive that opinion? Yeah. What makes your opinion and position more right? than mine, if I am truly this terrible person. Mm -hmm. And really, when you start to scrape around that, the foundation of what it's built on, if it's built on deconstruction, power dynamics, then they'll say like, what they're doing, what people are doing now. Well, there's more of us, Mm -hmm. and we'll shout you down. Mm -hmm. That is a dangerous place for anybody to get. Because Mm -hmm. what will happen is those people, there's there's a big group of people that live their life as if they believe in these Christian principles and values, but maybe they don't know where they're really rooted. Mm-hmm. And they've appreciated the benefits that they've afforded them. Mm-hmm. Once they get, once they feel like their way of life is threatened and they start fighting back and they're not rooted in Christ, mm-hmm. they're not rooted in love your enemy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then you have conflict. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem because the other side, it's pretty easy to look at it and say, well, they're not rooted. Their, fo- their foundation is sinking sand. It's shifting sand. It's just like, well, I don't like this and you're wrong and you're evil. Well, what is evil if there is mm-hmm. no truth? Mm-hmm. There is none. Mm-hmm. Really, evil is not a thing. You can't define it. Mm-hmm. So the problem is there's a big portion of, I think, the Western Christian church mm-hmm. that really does not know why they believe what they believe. 
they have beliefs mm -hmm. and they have operating systems in their life, but they don't know what. But it's an ideology, just like everything it else. It is because I mean, it's unquestioned. They they treat it like an ideology. Yes, they do. It isn't an ideology, but they behave mm -hmm. as though it is, yes, and therefore, right. under the least amount of scrutiny, it sways in the because wind. Because they like don't an dig down deep enough mm -hmm. to say, well, what does it really teach about love, my enemy? Right, which is one of the reasons right. that I think Marshall sort of urges me in this direction because. I feel like I've dug as deep as I can go with my limited intellect. Sure. And what I realize at the bottom is you either have to, well, there's good and there's evil. Yeah. And I, I believe that. Yeah. And I behave like a person who, who wants to be a good person. Sure. And that I think I was conflating that as a level below Christianity, and that mm. is Christianity. Right. And so you go, oh, I kind of have been there all along. And now I'm going in the opposite direction. I've sure. been digging down, and now I'm trying to build up a little sure. bit. And I'm just at that turning around point. So but that makes sense to me, though, too, because the whole world, the, the waters we've been swimming in, have you heard this analogy where there's two fish swimming along, and one turns to the other and goes, man, the water's warm today. And the other one goes, what's water? You know, the water. <laughs> <laughs> we've been swimming in our postmodernism. You've yeah. been deconstructing that right, because that's right. what you were hardwired to do. That's what we are all hardwired to do. Mm -hmm. And you've gotten to the bottom, hopefully, of that, not hopefully, but probably, it sounds like, intellectually, of that process, and you've reached bedrock, and you're like, well, what now? Mm -hmm. And postmodernism is not very good at building anything. No. It's really good at deconstructing, mm -hmm. and it has a purpose. Mm -hmm. It doesn't know how to build anything. Mm -hmm. And so we need to make a turn. Also, as Christians, as Christians, we need to make a turn. Of how to construct a positive theology built around Christ and the actual authentic gospel, not around American exceptionalism, not around the Christian church that is so extravagant and big. And that's the thing that Ugandans and other people around the world look at when they look at Christianity and go, oh, that's heaven. Mm. That's it. Okay, you're in these big cathedrals and smoke machines and skinny jeans and dark room glasses and relevant. I'm so relevant. Mm. Jesus is awesome. And then everybody goes, well, that's Christianity. You fit the part with the beanie and everything. Yeah. Like picture you it's because my hair is too long. I haven't got a haircut in a long time. But, but when we think, when we conflate, we go, oh, that's Christianity. People on an intellectual journey go, well, that's shallow and stupid. And then people that are genuinely seeking from another perspective, too, they might go, okay, that, that's what it is. They find it and they go, well, this is empty and hollow. Christians that say that they're in church every Sunday or whatever and doing all these things and praise Jesus and wrap myself in the American flag. They don't even know their neighbors. Mm -hmm. Not only do they not love their neighbors, they don't know their neighbor's name. Mm -hmm. And there is no excuse for that. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why everyone who's hearing my voice should not know what their neighbor's name is. Mm -hmm. And I know 90% of you that hear this will go, oh no, now you're going to meddling. Because now you're convicting me, now you're saying, but that is true. If that is not true, I don't know what the gospel meant. I don't know how Jesus went around and told people, love your enemy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you not know your own name? So this is the point. Like American Christianity has been hollow and shallow. It's been found to be wanting by people on an intellectual journey and on an existential <laughs> journey. Just put all all American Christians on blast, which I love. Good. Um, that's what that's what I appreciate about Andrew. It's the intensity just keeps building. Um, one also, the, I know I'm not a Christian now because I don't know any of my neighbors' names. That's, <laughs> that, <laughs> the, the, state, the, the statement though, that you said just a few minutes ago about digging down and realizing that that's where you're at right now. You are a Christian right now because of what you're trying to understand. I think that's a very true and, and um, a statement you should build on. Um, I want to go a little bit because there's two things I want to make sure I mention before we sure. run out of time sure. with you. One, I thought was really interesting talking last night about um, talking about deconstruction mm -hmm. of things. And right now it's defund the police, right? Yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah. And you stated last night when we were joking around with uh, one of our other uh, cop friends he said well just if they call the cops on you just 
tell them to come pick you up. And um, I thought that was hilarious. Like, uh, if the, if you called 911 and they said, well, we'd like to come out there, um, yeah, we'll come out there. Just come pick us up, right? I mean, that's, like, so foreign. You're like, what are you talking about? But that's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us what, yeah. how the police system works in Africa. Yeah, in, in Uganda. You Uganda, just know sorry. I put Africa, Africa as a country, and I know that that's not true, specifically in Uganda, which is yeah, in the middle of Africa. I know. Yeah, it's not. It's For our layman audience yeah. there. Yeah, he can go find it on a map if you want, but it's it's representative of a lot of sub-Saharan Africa at least. But yeah, I mean, if you just know that you don't you don't call the police if you have a problem. Mm. You call your neighbor mm. Mm. because if you call the police, what happens? They don't come because they don't have money. They don't have enough money for fuel. They don't have squad cars. They don't have the capacity, nor do they have the compassion because they're not rooted to it. Mm. And I have. I have a lot of friends who are cops that, that I know are extremely compassionate. They wouldn't be doing that job if they didn't love people. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people that are in that profession, you're, we're calling them when we say defund the police, defund the police. We're, we're actually challenge, challenging them and insisting that they, they operate from an altruistic perspective, that they're going to respond when their kids are hungry. Mm-hmm. When their kids are suffering, when they've got their own issues, and it's like, no, you need to come and defend and protect and do all this for me. And in a place like Africa where they're not, they're not compensated to the extent that they can do that, then they look for bribes. Mm-hmm. They look, well, oh, you, somebody's robbing your house? Oh, come pick me up and I'll come. And literally that's a story that happened to our pastor. He was like, he was like somebody's breaking into my house. And he didn't call the cops because he knew that he couldn't. He called his neighbor and his neighbor came. And you know why he was able to do that? Because he needs his neighbor, and his neighbor needs him. And sometimes God deconstructs the very things that we put our hope in, this economy, this world, this government, so that we will be driven back to the thing that he said where life is found anyway. And if we resist it, the more we resist it, and the more we put our hope and trust in the system, the more we will be disappointed. It'll be like holding it with a closed fist, and God's going to have to pry it out of our hand. Because we've been putting our hope in places where yes, we see the benefit of them, and they may even be principally better. They may even be principally built on Christian ethics and, and practices, but they are not God themselves, mm-hmm. and they are not the gospel. Yeah, because I can hear some people going, "Oh, see, that's what we want. That's what defund the police. Like we want you to call your neighbor." But you know, that's that's overarchingly that's um, the tyranny that they will have to live with. Right. That they will, their children will suffer, and they will suffer. And, and what it they're is not, not heaven. What they're not seeing, and you've seen, and in a nutshell explained to me, and I didn't, I haven't experienced it. We haven't experienced it, but when you start defunding the police and taking away their resources, right. And then yeah. what's the, what was the lady that, uh, commissioner like, what, like, that in Portland called when she was, in oh, the Uber ride? Oh, oh, yeah. oh, that was oh she was a Portland city council member. Yeah. yeah. And she called and I mean, I heard of this, I didn't right. Know. And, yeah. She called because something happened in her lift ride where she was upset and she called nine one one and, and it's, she's getting on blast for it because it was such a minute my my new Minute. thing yeah. um, that happened, but also that she was one of the most public figureheads Correct. of defunding from the police. She, she was, and so you have um, police officers, and we know a lot of them that they're not it, like tendency to me would be like, uh, "You're the one wanting to, yeah, good luck. I'll be there. Just just wait. I'll yeah. be there in five minutes, yeah. and then call back. Just wait. We're going to yeah. be there. I don't know. I would want to do something devious, yeah. and unfortunately. Fortunately, I should say, we have um, really good police officers who don't do that. But you keep pushing them and taking things away, and they're going to get like that. You start, and I know it sounds like ridiculous that you all of a sudden they don't have squad cars, but I don't know where they're going to have to cut corners. And then they're going to get cynical, and then they're going to get they're going to get pushed to the point where either they don't want to do it, they can't do it, and then maybe they get to the point of putting bribes out there. You are a good person 
till you put cash in front of me every day, a stack there, and I realize it's not going to go missing, right? You keep doing that, and I am a good, well-natured person, but eventually I'm going to start taking some because the temptation is there. Yeah. And and I know we don't look at police like that, but that's what we're doing by saying we're defunding them. Yeah, and it's a little uh, from what I picked up from you. On definitely, that, it's dangerous because world. you're you're trying to you're trying to you're putting your faith in these individuals to make the best choice for you at every turn. And I think the structures are worth upholding. I, mm-hmm. I want to say that the structures are worth upholding, but as a Christian, my, my hope is not in the structures, but if I, I believe if I live in a Christian way and that's expanded outside of my family and outside of my neighborhood and outside of my community to society, it will structure itself in a way that we sim- we see in America. Like I said, I do believe that there were some unique things about America's founding that, that allowed things to be built. Now, it's not always been right, but there seems to be this effort toward justice, toward fairness, but also towards mercy. Mm-hmm. But you have to have law in order to have grace. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a construct I have like, you have, grace does not mean anything mm-hmm. without law. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so I'm gonna make sense. I'm gonna build off of that because I want to get okay. to this before yeah. we before we have run out of time. Yeah, because yeah. I know we do are running out of time probably for out of time. Okay, so with the new laws being mandated, and yeah. I know you're just gonna you're probably gonna give us our last charged Andrew here, uh, which I like and I really think it's worthwhile of hearing. What should we be doing right now with the new, the governor coming out and saying? These arbitrary rules of she just came out and said, we're going to limit capacity. And I know some people are out there like, you don't care about people and yada, yada, yada. I, I do. I just don't believe in everything the metrics say. But even if I thought the metrics were true of uh, coronavirus, and even if I thought they were killing a higher percentage than they are, I still don't believe in shutting the churches down. And she just came out and arbitrarily, no matter the size of your building, said churches can only have 25 people. You could have <laughs> a church that fits a million people and she's like, 25. Or a church that only fits 50, 25. So I don't really know how that, <clears throat> why she came to that. But what should we be doing as people who um, are supposed outspoken Christians? Right. My opinion, <laughs> my opinion okay, well, is, is the church supersedes the government. That's my opinion. That... The mandate that is I that have, not, that's not just an opinion. That's a, that's a constitutional right, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm thankful that we live in a country where that is the case, that I believe the constitution will support what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is a person who lived in a place where that was not the case for 12 years. I still think it's true that the church and my calling to love my neighbor, no matter the circumstances is my calling, regardless of who's trying to restrict that calling. Do I think that the church has to meet in a building in this capacity, in this format, in order for it to be legitimate? No. Do I think right now that the government is overreaching and, and doing things that I can't quite understand? I feel like they're trying to gaslight us into a rage-induced response. Yeah, I do feel like they're doing that. So, but what, am I, what do I think people are called to do? You're called to love your neighbor. You're called to not forsake the fellowship. Now, that's not a law. That doesn't make God more happy with you. But it's because it's for our own good. Ken, this sounds like a commercial. This is, it's, it's a plug for being <laughs> together. We're designed. We're made in the image of God. We're okay with you plugging your own coffee company. Yeah. Exactly. We're made in the image of God. God is defined as, and sort of the traditional Christian belief is God is three in one. Mystery, we'll talk about that later. But we are def- made specifically uniquely in his image to display his image to the world. And that part of that a fundamental part of that is being 
together. The insidiousness of this virus, no matter what the application of the division, like they're saying, you can't meet, you can't be together, you can't look at each other's faces, you can't. That to me is, yeah. To me, that is a satanic impulse. I don't think that Kate Brown and Jay Inslee and Gavin Newsom and all these people are know that. But I think the devil came to steal and kill and destroy. He came to steal our joy. He came to kill our spirits and to destroy our fellowship. And as Christians, we need to fight for those as much as we can in a loving way. Love thy enemy. You don't fight. The other person is not your enemy. Evil is your enemy. So th- this is the problem. Solzhenitsyn, Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, but the, the line of evil runs straight down a man's heart. Mm-hmm. And so every single person has to ask himself, because you may think, nobody thinks they're Hitler. Hitler didn't think he was Hitler. Nobody thinks they're Hitler. So as soon as you think you're justified in your resistance, mm-hmm. and in a way that leads you towards your own personal tyranny and evil, when you find that you're standing over that battered body, sweating and dripping blood and feeling justified in your rage and your response to the tyranny that's being imposed on you, you are Hitler. So we all, all of us have to ask ourselves the question, like, where am I rooted? Where is my hope? Can I maintain it through all this garbage? I think that's great. I, I think that's good for me to hear because I am a person who's like, no, let's just do this uprising and I do need to go. I like how you put it yesterday to me. Kate Brown gave these orders. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We heard you. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. But this is what we're going to do because we are separate and apart. And yeah. so respectfully go, thank you. Not this. We're not going to have it. We're going to fight you. Right. We're going to riot. Whatever. Because that, that's not who we are. and That's not who we should be. So I, I do appreciate that viewpoint. Church needs to make its choices for itself, understanding the consequences, but not subject to those authorities. We are subject to one authority. Yeah. I, Andrew, I love getting, again, your worldview. I get this a lot because Andrew is my brother-in-law, so we get to chat a lot about some of this stuff. And um, again, every time we're talking, I just want to hit the record button. Um, and maybe unbeknownst to you, I will be doing that sometimes. <laughs> um, but we do really appreciate it. We'll have you on again next time you're thank visiting. You. So uh, thank you for it. And if you guys have any questions, thoughts, additions, or things you'd like to hear, just go ahead and email us at Aaron at com or Marshall at twoopinionguys.com. Do you have any complaints? I don't want to hear it. And if you want some <laughs> coffee, just clarification on that. He only sells coffee yeah. beans. I mean, he doesn't sell, he doesn't have a coffee shop. Just Right. But if you want some good. You can email us. Stay tuned for more. Yeah, email us and we'll, we'll figure out how to get you information. That would be great.